You're listening to episode 41. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So Get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Mutawa here, your host. I'm very excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. Daryl Lyons. Daryl, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Daryl is the CEO and co-founder of the Pax Financial Group, which helps you improve your financial plan and quality of life through strategies for investing. Daryl is a licensed financial planner and the author of the wonderful book, Small Business, Big Pressure. And uh, also a cool fun fact is that Daryl enjoys the coveted Dave Ramsey endorsement. So very excited to have you on the show. Welcome to the show, Daryl. Um, but um, before we dig into your story, maybe just uh, take 30 seconds and tell us who is Daryl outside of business. Yeah, so um, I'm in my late 30s and I'm married um, to a uh, South Texas girl. That's where we are from, San Antonio, Texas. And we have uh, four kids and uh, they are... Um, they're all really good kids. And so um, I'm blessed enough that my wife can stay at home and um, spend time with our children. And then uh, outside of the time with the children, I do whatever I can to be outdoors. I certainly enjoy the outdoors life in South Texas, which has a higher degree of heat than most places, but fishing and hunting and, and uh, all those outdoor things, cycling is uh, all up my alley. If we talk business, how long have you been in full-time business uh, for yourself? 10 years. 10 years. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, what, what, what would you say are your core revenue pillars today? Core revenue, excuse me? Your revenue sources. Yeah. Okay. And you know, actually to add clarity to the 10 years, I started 12 years ago by myself and then um, I added one partner and then I added another partner. And so those three, um, the three of us came together to start our company known as PAX, which happened 10 years ago. So, you know, it's... Uh, you know, originally I had a, 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 a DBA, a small business that was just myself, a sole practitioner is what I was trying to say 12 years ago. And then I started the company that we know today as PAX, P-A-X. And that was 10 years ago. And our main revenue sources um, are we are responsible for helping manage people's money. And um, we also have an insurance division that offers uh, traditional uh, health insurance, life insurance, disability, long-term care, which is not a huge part of our business, but kind of ancillary. And then we'll do uh, group uh, retirement accounts and things like that. And and how, what's your main channel for um, 
I guess, helping that in investments people? Is it helping them self-manage their investments or um, how, how does that work? For no, you? we actually take pride in liberating people from that. Um, what, what we have identified is that there are certainly people in, um, in and around our community that will have the time, the tools, and the emotional fortitude to manage their own money. But there's many individuals that uh, would rather outsource that. I always think about it when I painted, when I was first, uh, my first house, I painted the inside of the house um, several times, you know, I keep wanting to change colors of rooms and, um, you know, this house that I'm in, I, I just hired somebody to paint it. Uh, the reality is, is that I couldn't do as good of a job and I didn't have the time and I didn't want to make mistakes. So, um, people who want to liberate themselves from the burdens of managing their money, uh, come to us and we charge a fee for doing that, of course. And we think we're fair in our fees. We always uh, benchmark and evaluate and have what we call a fair profit margin, not maximum profit margin. That's kind of our intent. And so there's a certain segment of the population and actually a pretty big segment that just simply say, you know, I don't have the time, um, or want to access or try to access the tools. And I don't have the emotional fortitude to make good, uh, investment decisions. So they lean on us and, um, we take a lot of pride in being able to liberate people to do things that they're really good at. How did that journey start for you? Um, I don't know, 12 years ago to, to find yourself um, running your own business. Yeah. Well, the reality is, is that, um, the journey started much longer than that. So when I was in, um, in undergraduate, this, this is 20 years ago, uh, I got a job at a bank and I was working at a teller line and I just started to have an interest in money. And so uh, I was, I was working at the bank pretty much full time. That's how I paid my way through school. Um, and so my interest in money then took on uh, a change in my uh, undergraduate degree, w- which moved to accounting. And then I got another one in finance. And so when I looked at my academic background and the interest and the, the affinity and skills that I had, I thought, you know, banking and, ca- you know, cash flow and tax and investments, you know, I, I think that's a financial planner. And so I, I, I grew up poor, so I didn't know what a financial planner was. Um, and so if you can imagine, I, I had lived in a little single wide trailer in, in a small Texas town called Castroville, Texas. So the, uh, the idea of having a house with, without wheels on it was of interest to me. So the banker in that small town, he had a house with a foundation. So I thought, you know, gosh, you know, it's probably a good idea to consider the banking and investment world. And the fact that I kind of understand it might be, um, might be something I'm good at. So, I started out doing a bunch of research on a career path that made sense for me. And that was December of 1999, December 10th, 1999 and December 11th, 1999. I started in this industry right away. I worked for big companies. Um, and, and then I ended up saying, you know, I want to go into uh, being business for myself after I, I think they say cut your teeth. I I have no idea what that means, but after I cut my teeth at a big firm, then I went to a small firm which was mine. And how, how long before you went to your own firm? It was about five and a half years, about five years, actually. Okay. So not, not an awfully long time. Um, how did you find the transition? Well, it was terribly painful. Um, I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur. When In the 1980s, my father um, was a pretty um, successful guy, a, a business guy, and he had suffered a setback in 87. And, and in Texas, we had what we called an SNL, a savings and loan crisis that really spread across the world. 
Um, but in, in Texas, it was, we were hit in this particular region pretty hard. In fact, today, even many, many men and women talk about those 87 years as a, as the years in which their lives changed. And, and that was for my father as well. And so he was let go. And I remember that painful experience and that transition that took place in our lives financially going from having something to having nothing. And I, I told myself I never wanted to work for somebody. So even when I went to go work for that big um, international um, financial services company right after undergraduate, um, I, I did. I will say I authentically gave them a fair shot at a career path. But there was always something tugging at my heart saying, you know, you've got to be an entrepreneur. You've got to do something for your own benefit. And it, and it was the root, the root of it is, was unhealthy. It was a fear that I would be let go. So maybe the root uh, motivation wasn't exactly where it should have been. But um, ultimately, um, after about five years, I said, okay, enough's enough. It's time for me to start my own business. And I did that because we had our first baby. And I knew if I didn't do it now, that when I have four kids, it was going to be really tough. So again, my mind's a financial planner mind. So I thought I just got to stop now. So my wife quit her job. She was a teacher. She's making pretty decent money and I quit mine. And again, I'm, I'm working for a big, big financial services company. I was partner of the year. I was moving up the ladder. So I was making good money. I quit mine and we uh, sold, um, we sold a car. We sold everything we could just to survive. And that first year was hard. Wow. And how, how did you manage to get through that? And persevere well it was by the grace of god only and a supporting wife uh there was a lot of moments of of quitting i remember one time i was in the uh, parking lot and um, i had left the keys to my office uh, at the house because we only had one car the office keys and the car keys were on separate key rings and so I had taken my family car to the office that morning, but left the office key on the counter. And so it is about, I want to, I want to say about four thirty in the morning because I am trying to work my tail off to pull this off. And, uh, I, uh, left the keys at the house. So I was just frustrating. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to go back home. Um, I was in the parking lot. I just, you know, just cried. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. We're going to end up living in the trailer park. And then, of course, you justify that. Well, that wasn't so bad. But um, I just started getting frustrated and crying. And and I I remember praying. In fact, it was interesting about this moment because this moment was the time that I actually, that was the first time in my life that I committed to giving. Like, I never gave. Like, you know, know, I'm a Christian, so the idea of giving is important to me. And, but, but it, but I never did it, uh, because I was, I just didn't have that habit. But in that moment that I was scared, I didn't make a deal with God. I just told him, God, I trust you enough that I'm going to give the, the first fruits of everything I make from this point forward. Um, and so I remember making that agreement with God, regardless of the success or failure, I just told him I was going to commit to that. And that started when I was really at the low of low and completely broke. And I have not changed that habit since. So that was, you know, something that happened that was really rough that turned out to be pretty good when I look back in retrospect. That's incredible. I mean, you, you talk about um, <clears throat> the experience that your dad had um, about being let go and how that impacted your family. And um, I can definitely relate because I've kind of been let go out of three jobs in my 15 or 16 year working career. And 
and it's the worst feeling, especially when you're not prepared and, uh, you know, you sink, um, depending on what the state of the economy is, you could literally sink back if you can't get a job straight away. So, so in a sense, it is, it is a fear that you may, you may have at the back of your mind that you thought, oh, maybe it's a wrong, wrong platform, but I guess it, I think it's not a bad, um, seed to, to use, uh, to leverage as long as it's not a, you know, a too, too negative, um, paralyzing type of fear. Um, so that's an interesting part of, of your story that I like. And then, and then talking about and giving, I remember attending a workshop, um, I can't I remember, a number of years ago, and somebody was talking about giving and, you know, tithing, giving a 10% of your income. And he says, I don't know why it works, but it does work. And I, and I guess it's a, it's a biblical principle. And I've, and I'm a Christian. I, I grew up, um, in the church. And, uh, and it's interesting when you, when you do give, you sort of committing your, your income and what you're generating. Um, to say it's not, it's not, doesn't own me, doesn't control me, um, and therefore it, there's a way in, in which God is able to multiply that through our lives. So, so thanks for sharing that. But um, through that process, um, what were you doing to execute on your on your new business? So the good news is, when I worked for the big this big financial services company, they taught me a lot about how to create a habit of excellence. So that was really good. I did not get that in undergraduate. You know, you think about undergraduate, I'm getting, you know, academic experience. I'm understanding how to be a technician, but, but I had no idea how to sell at all. And so what I had learned at these, this company is that, um, I, I, I needed to be in front of people. And so my whole mindset every day was, uh, I need to either be in front of people or figuring out a way to get in front of people. Now, I had at a big company been in a bullpen with a lot of people. And so if you can imagine a big financial services company, you've got these bullpens, so these cubicles, and you sit down on day one and it's, you know, the, the, their, their date at the end of the year, there, there's a completely different group of people. Like if there's 20 people in that bullpen, and you're number 20, all the other 19 are gone and they're replaced by somebody else. Right. And that's, and that's kind of the, there might be two or three, but in all reality, there's most of them leave. So I had an opportunity to just reflect on why people were failing. And I, um, I, I didn't get it. Like I felt bad for them because I heard their story and their passion and their love and their uh, integrity and all the, you check all the boxes. These people were relatively good people. A lot of them were, they were even well networked, but you know, they, they didn't do some of the blocking and tackling. And so what I always thought was I've got to be in front of people or I've got to figure out a way to be in front of people. And so I would, I would call people and call people and I would all day long. It was aggressive. Um, but, but let me tell you, I was politely aggressive. I was aggressive in my, um, my work ethic, but I was very polite when I got in front of people. Does that make sense? And so, but I would not sit around. So like a lot of people I recognize, they would, they would sit around and they would do, stress relieving activities, not goal achieving activities. They would do things that would make them think that they were productive, but they weren't being productive. They weren't getting in front of people. And at the early stages, I just need to be in front of people. So 
if I had, you know, I'd make as many calls as I could. I'd call as many people as I could. And if I ran out of people to call, I would just uh, jump in my car and start knocking on doors. And I would do that all day long. And I would do it in, um, again, from trailer parks to uh, class A office buildings, to industrial parks, to medical office buildings, to residential homes. Everywhere I could, I would just knock on doors and try to get in front of people all day long. It's tiring. It was exhausting. Um, but it worked and it worked because I was getting in front of people. And, um, when I didn't like it, I hated it so much that when I sat down with somebody, when somebody gave me a shot to meet with them, I would make it a point to ensure that I did not leave that initial conversation without a referral to their particular friends and family. Cause I didn't want to go knocking on doors. It'd be easier if they gave me referrals. So I ended up getting a ton of referrals. I would get hundreds of referrals just because I was very aggressive in asking and I didn't want to knock on more doors. So sometimes I'd knock on a door and that person might give me a shot, but they didn't buy anything, but they gave me six referrals and that kept me going. And so this approach just was compounded over time and it was just very aggressive. And it just, I still have all my data sheets from that time because I would record how many referrals and how many appointments. And I did this for two and a half years and um, for this big financial services company and ended up becoming uh, rookie of the year and partner of the year of the firm and really moving up the fast track. But it was just this relentless, daily, tough, uh, getting in front of people or figuring out a way to get in front of people every single day. So that's a long answer to a short question, but that's really the truth. So you were doing this before you launched out on your own. Yeah. So then those habits continued. So then when I launched out on my own, it was not, it was like, okay, I got to take what worked there and and deploy them. Now, I had a handful of clients and and I was a little bit more mature. So at this time it's 5 years after undergrad. I'm nearly in the same business. I had I had worked for the big financial services company um s- selling products, pitching myself. But um now f- 5 years later, um I actually know a few more people. My college buddies are kind of starting to make a little bit money. And so now Now my network is a little bit riper, but I still had to do the same activity day in and day out, which I still executed. That's, that's brutal. That's uh, that's huge um, amount of, of work. Um, I mean, you know, cutting across residential business, industrial, just sounds like, you know, anybody and literally, and that's scary door knocking, literally. um. I don't know. You know, for me, I I saw construction workers and I saw people laying tile and I saw that as hard work. You know, I don't know. I just had a point of reference. I, I, the, you know, you look at it from a risk reward profile. uh, It made sense to me. So it was hard and it was frustrating, but I mean, it was a first world hard. It wasn't that bad. Totally get you, man. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, how did you acquire your very first paying clients after that initial that you may have moved away with dried up? So my, my first client dried up, no more paying. Yeah. So, so you said you moved across from your your big financial firm with the number of clients, right? Um, but then how did you grow from there to your, your brand new clients, um, from the, with setting up your new book of clients? Um, I, I was getting my new book of clients and, um, and I was doing everything I could to get new clients and I was involved in networking, uh, groups. There's one called business network international that, that helped me actually 
big group, right? Um, it's all, it's all across the world. Um, so that helped actually, I was the president of that. I got involved in Toastmasters, uh, and that helped because I met a lot of cool people in Toastmasters and, um, I was just active and, and wanted to be around circles that, um, that I enjoyed and that, uh, would help a lot. And, you know, I had the, you know, the other thing is, is that the, you kind of, if you do the right thing long enough, people start to notice, you know, they, they say that integrity is doing the right thing when no one's looking. And I, I certainly have my, uh, track record of mistakes and errors and blunders, but you know, for the most part, I, uh, I really try to maintain a high level of integrity all throughout my, um, you know, even when I was an undergraduate and somebody, somebody saw that along the way. And this lady was a secretary of one of the financial advisors for the big firm that I worked for. And, um, she, she reached out to a friend of hers and they started having a conversation. And that friend said, um, you know what? I would like Daryl to be endorsed by Dave Ramsey. And so they interviewed me and, uh, it was a good fit. And Dave Ramsey ended up endorsing me. And as a result, that became a new catalyst for my growth. Right. This was, um, 11 years ago. Yeah, it was right before I formed PAX. Remember I was, uh, a sole practitioner and then I had a partner and that was called, uh, so it was, it was Lions Financial Services and then it was Lions Schutze because I got a partner and then Dave Ramsey endorsed me there and then we, jo- we started PAX right after that. Yeah. Well, it was, co- it was, it turned out to be a great deal. Initially I said no because it sounded like an employer. I thought, oh, well, I don't want to get into this thing. And, and, and I was told, no, it's actually a pretty good relationship. You'll find us to be pretty uh, respectful. And I thought, well, okay, I can, I guess there's nothing to lose, which by the grace of God, I'm thankful that they were, they were aggressive with me. Um, but he ended up at the peak of our relationship. And Dave and I still have a good relationship today. His team, uh, he has 12 financial advisors around the country that he trusts to provide him feedback and I'm one of them. So I really have a good relationship with his team. And, um, but, um, at the peak of our relationship, when, when, when we were just, we had, we had, we were getting a hundred referrals a month from him. So, I mean, remember I, I'm going from a guy that's just trying to get one meeting a day and like struggling. And all of a sudden a hundred people a month are knocking on my door. Hey, Dave says you're great. Can you invest? Can I, can you take my money? And, yeah. And so that was unbelievable. So much so that I called Dave's office and said, look, I can't even support all these prospects you're sending me. Um, and I told him to tone it down. So, uh, so to, to answer the scope of what it meant, it meant a lot. And so I kind of reflect on that and I think, you know, is there any takeaways from that from my perspective? And I think, I think the reality is, is that, you know, when you just, when you just work really hard and just stay really focused, you end up kind of just getting lucky eventually. And, and I didn't ever intend for something like that to ever happen. But I think when you do the right thing and it's compounded over and over and over and over and over again, and there's been, and I, and as a Christian, it's certainly a blessing and I give all the credit to God, 
but to the secular world, you think about it and the, the reality is, is when you work, work and do, you just pound that rock, eventually stuff happens. And, and that was one of the things that happened was that Dave Ramsey mm. relationship. How does somebody kind of, um, bring that about, you know, cause it, someone brought it to you. So it was obviously available and you had, you had to do the hard work of getting the endorsement. So how does somebody bring that about to, to, help them go forward. I, I interviewed um, somebody who's in, in the insurance business and they said one of the things that they did, including the, you know, the Business Network International and things like that, was they looked out for awards from their local councils or local state government and they applied for those and that gave them a boost and a platform to go and you know, share their story. So you know, is, is there a parallel that you can help somebody think through? When yeah, I think to- so a little bit. Um, so I think it starts with a high degree of authenticity. So what I, what I would consider is that if there's, um, uh, if, if somebody has a story, um, something that tugs their heart and, or, a, a passion for a change and they become actively involved in that and, um, they will end up becoming visible in their communities. And it is likely that their visibility, as long as they are behave, behaving themselves and not, not always frustrating people, it's likely that they will get an endorsement, whether it's implied or not, an endorsement from somebody who's of influence in that community. Um, let me give you an example. Um, I, uh, I worship at a church called Oak Hills and I've worshiped there for years. And the pastor of that church is Max Lucado and he, right. And so he's the number one Christian author of all time, I think. And so I just worshiped there for a long time and not really thinking much of it. I, you know, I serve communion. I've helped on committees and I've done a lot of things for the church. And, and all of a sudden one day I get a, a, a text from the co-pastor, Randy Frazee. And Randy Frazee says, hey, Daryl, I, I love what you're doing as a small business owner for God's glory. I'd like for you to come up on stage this Sunday for services and tell everyone about your story. You've got three minutes and you're going to speak in front of 30,000 people. Can you do that? <laughs> and it'll be worldwide and it'll be recorded. And I said, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, absolutely. So um, my point is, is that I was off. I wasn't seeking that endorsement, that validation. Um, but I was just being very active and passionate and doing the right thing for the community. And then now I've got a very influential person singing my praises, uh, in front of everyone. And so I think it's, it, it, it starts out with just being authentic in the community, but eventually, um, I think the, the pinnacle is when you have somebody of influence in that community, that can vouch for your character and when you get to that point, I think you've got something special and something you don't want to lose because your reputation uh, precedes your character. So if they've seen that your character has been good over the years, then you develop this reputation and then you need to make sure that you manage that and don't mess it up. I'm curious now, what, what were the highlights of your three minute talk to 30,000 people at the time? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's somewhere out there. Uh, you know, it might not be on YouTube. I think it's under the Oak Hills site. Um, and so... One of the highlights, just as, a, as an example, by the way, three-minute talk is hard because for three minutes, you know, it takes me three minutes just to get warmed up, right? And, uh, and you know, I'm not, 
I, I enjoy speaking, but I'm not naturally gifted like some of these people, but I, man, I loved it. And, uh, I, I would say one of the highlights was, is that our, our organization now, uh, 18 employees and 2000 clients, when somebody sits down with a financial advisor, we talk money, but we also talk life. And so in certain situations, when we've uncovered that there's some life issues, as an example, um, let's say we've got a, a husband and wife and I ask them, you know, how are we going to save for your son's college? And they would maybe articulate, you know, my son has you know been on drugs, so college isn't going to be an option. And so we get quickly into life issues, death, divorce, money, uh, brings up all these conversations. So we found ourselves to play much more than an advisor role. And so as a result of always having these conversations that are very intimate, sometimes we give hope to people in, in the midst of despair. We may help send their kids to college or pay off cars or, or pay for weddings or start businesses. And when we give people hope, which people are desperate for hope right now. They see nothing but signs of doom and gloom. When we give people a glimpse of hope, we actually celebrate that hope and we have this big gong in our office. And whenever whenever we give somebody hope, we walk those clients over to this gong and they hit it. And then everyone in the office celebrates and they all clap and cheer. We celebrate hope and we measure hope and we have a goal of our organization to have a certain number of gong hits each month. So that idea of making a small business more than just a transactional business resonated to um, both Randy Frazee and um, other organizations really across the country at this point. Um, but that was one of the highlights. And so I went out there, you know what, at the time it wasn't even a gong, it was a bell because we changed it to a gong. But at the time it, it was a bell. And when I got up on stage, I, I rang the bell and then everyone cheered and it was just a lot of fun. I love that. That's an amazing story. I don't think I've ever heard anybody share that, but um, good, good concept. I think it just makes it a, a bigger vision and uh, you're extending out, extending out what you're providing to the community and then, you know, changing people's lives. Um, yeah. So in terms of your business today, how are you growing that business right now? Uh, you've just touched on the fact you got 2000 clients and 18 employees. So, you know, congratulations on that. Are you pushing that growth? Um, how is that happening today? Yeah. So, um, we've had some, uh, the regulatory environment, uh, in the States have been challenging. There's been some new rules called the fiduciary rule, uh, that passed in April this year. We have to reorganize a little bit to, to accommodate that rule, but, um, we're, um, we are looking forward to a new chapter of growth. Um, and so we're, we're, we're seeing that happen already. Uh, we've identified that, um, we're just, we're kind of in a demographic sweet spot where there's 10,000 people turning 65 every day. Many of those want somebody like us to help them along the way. And, um, there's fewer and fewer advisors because the regulatory environment has been difficult. So because there's fewer advisors and more people that need help, uh, we kind of sit in a nice supply demand, uh, area. And so we are, we're, uh, we've been stepping into promoting ourselves a little bit more, but, but namely on the brand side, trying to make sure that we have a good brand, make sure our online images is uh, more than adequate and making sure that if we have messages on the radio or television, I do a lot of television interviews that those have a story behind it that's consistent. So we've been focusing right now on the brand um, to make sure that people out there, when they think of needing uh, financial services, that we're top of mind for them. That's, that's an incredible... Which is a weird place to be. Branding is... I hate it because... 
it's not like a lead driver, you know, it's not like, okay, I'm spending $2,000 a month and I'm going to get 200 leads. It's not that it's, it's dumb. You put out a message and it takes two years and people, it just drips on people. I hate it, but we're at that point where branding is important, but I really don't like it, but we do it. So no, I think you're right. And you know, when you, when you look at, um, you know, if somebody's, somebody is listening to this right now, you know, what, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to go and check your, your brand out. Um, so, so you want that to represent exactly who you are because that's all they will see and they'll, they'll have to judge you based on that at, at the initial point. So I think you're right. It's a worthwhile investment, um, especially if you're driving traffic from all sorts of places. Um, but yeah, 10,000 people turning, what, 60, 65 every single day. Um, that's a huge, huge number, huge number. What, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're helping people resolve in that category? Yeah, so, you know, probably the biggest challenge is just helping them identify how much money, you know, they've got a pile, like, let's say they have a pile of money and they don't have to have a lot of money to see us. We're not, like, we don't have uh, minimums like most companies. But if they have money, the, the question is, how long will it last? And it seems like it'd be like a little Excel calculator, but there's um, some other things to, to consider. Um, you know, the rate of return assumptions that are being used and, and, you know, how much you're going to spend. And so there's just a, there's just a need for a, for just some direction. Okay. I've got some money and this is how much I want to spend. Is that enough? Am I going to, am I going to outlive my money? Is there any potholes that I'm not seeing here? Those conversations happen every day and we want to make sure that we see around corners for people and um, have, you know, the best technology, um, have the best information available in terms of evidence to support our strategy. And uh, once people leave, and I had this happen yesterday, which is wonderful. Once people leave, they have a degree of, okay, I'm going to be okay. And we validated that. Hey, that's, that's, that goes a long way. And I, I love it when we can get to that point. Now, frankly, we won't be, we won't patronize. So if somebody isn't in a good situation, we do have to tell people that that's part of our job too. Um, but you know, it's, it's just the reality of the situation sometimes, but that's what we see mostly is just calculations of probabilities of not out, not outliving your money. Look, it's been amazing. I, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about, um, you know, failure that holds, um, a lot of people back. Did you ever, you know, reach a point where you felt that you were failing and you just wanted to completely shut everything down and how did you handle that? Yeah. So that, uh, that does get into kind of a spiritual conversation because, um, I remember when I was struggling with, um, this was about seven years ago, I was struggling just in the business, just getting it off the ground. We were, we were off the ground, but, but you, you never like, you never like, are like breathing. This is, Okay, I made it to the promised land. Even today, you're still dealing with a new set of challenges. But at that time, seven years ago, um, I was getting a little older, so I wasn't able to play football and basketball the same capacity as I used to. So I took took up golf, and I was just frankly horrible at golf. Um, I still try to play, just no good. Um, so I started running, and I ran before a conference in California, and I got lost. And... Um, and I remember running 12 miles a day. I never run that far in my life. I, I'm late to the conference and I get back from the conference and I placed a trade on the client's account and I lost $10,000 on, on the trade. I just made a, a, a fat finger mistake, but uh, might have, might as well burn $10,000 of cash. 
he had a beard and guns. He was angry. Um, and so then, you know, I'm just kind of a little frustrated with just myself. And it was a beautiful February day. And I, and my wife's pregnant with our third child at the time. And I said, you know, it's just, I'm going to take my daughter, Claire, she's two little blonde and I'm gonna take her to the grocery store and you just hang out, um, with my son and you rest because you know, you're pregnant. And so we go to um, the grocery store and my, my daughter, uh, asked to roll down the windows and we were singing and then she screams. She had, um, rolled up the back window with her foot, kicked it and put her finger between the window and the frame and it got stuck. And so I could not get it down. I couldn't get the window, the electronic window down. So I thought I was going to have to punch it. I I couldn't, I wasn't thinking, but she let go with her foot and the window came down, but her finger was severed and it was just hanging on by skin. And so I, uh, rushed her over to the hospital, which was about a mile and a half away. Take her to the doctor, doctor, um, uh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but the orthopedic surgeon successfully reattached her finger that night, not without fear and pain, but my wife lost the baby. So, so you got to think about it in the context of, I feel like at this time I'm failing as a business guy. I'm failing as a father. I'm failing as an athlete. I'm failing as, um, a, a person in general. Um, my identity and my fear is at an all time high. And at this point in my life, I had been a Christian, but I really hadn't bought what Jesus was selling. And so I asked a guy with little gray hair and who read the Bible more than me, um, what was going on. And we unpacked it over a cup of coffee. And that's when I really started to say, you know what? Um, I'm tired of being a lukewarm Christian. I'm going to actually, I actually believe what Jesus said when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so at that, it was at that moment that I had this pinnacle of fear that I decided I was tired of living in perpetual fear and worry that I made a complete shift to, to, to trust God in all areas of my life. And so that was the key moment. And I would say that may have been the biggest catalyst for my success because my communication with other people at that point was no longer a fear-based conversation. It was one of, I trust God regardless of the outcome. And you're just, when people are dependent upon God and not having fear-based conversations, they're just better people to be around. And so that uh, all facets of my life changed as a result of my abiding in Christ seven years ago. Um, and, and again, there's fear that still exists, but it's not to the same degree it was prior to that time. Hey, I appreciate you sharing that. And you know, it's a very personal story. So, so really appreciate that. And I know personally, my wife and I have have gone through um, you know a similar situation and it's, it's really difficult and you know maybe somebody is listening to this it's a business podcast but you know life still happens to when business people are, are, are going back when they go back home so so you know it's an encouragement uh, for anybody who might be going through um, maybe a, a, a time of being at the bottom and it could just be you know as drastic as you just described and um, but you know there's there's um, there's another day tomorrow. The sun will come up, and um, you know you can <clears throat> you can change your decisions around and, and stand on a, on a better positive footing going forward. So, so thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to touch on how some of the the decisions you've made in your life um, actually hinge on, uh, and I want to understand how you would rank the following: faith, fun, family, finances, and friendships. Oh yeah. So you want me to be real, right? 
<laughs> so I will say faith first. I can say that authentically, and, and that's just where I'm at. That's not where I've always been at, but faith definitely. Uh, family, it certainly follows, uh, no doubt. Um, and then we've got the uh, we've got fun, right? So that's not going to be up there yet. We've got finances. That's probably the next one. Um, and fun is going to be the next one. And then friends. And, and it's not that I don't like friends. It's just, uh, it's just, I'm at an odd place in life where, um, I, with four kids and, um, I've got in-laws that live around me, uh, and my wife, you know, that's where my life is right now. So in terms of close friends, it's just not that season in life. Um, but, but it's not anything I don't desire. And then fun. I really have to make a point to have more fun. Um, but I have fun. You know, I coached my son's football team and I had a blast doing it. I, you know, that was fun for me. So it's all kind of interwoven now. That's good. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, what about giving us a quick look into what a day in your life looked like when you started your business um, 10 years ago? So the PAX group versus a day in your life today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the day in the life uh, 10 years ago was being in front of people or figuring out a way to get in front of people. That was it. I'd get there early in the morning, 7 a.m. And um, I would make phone calls. Um, I had typically because of a lot of phone calls, I'd have you know, five people on my calendar, I'd have to go drive to their home or office to meet with them. And and typically it was, let's say it was five appointments that I had. Uh, If three of them uh, showed up or didn't cancel, that was good. (laughs) So oftentimes I remember driving an hour to an appointment that had confirmed the day before and uh, they didn't show up. That happened um, too often. And, and so you'd have to constantly struggle with that frustration. You'd have to, you know, put a lot of miles on your car because you're going places, you're dealing with traffic, you're buying fast food, you know, you're just, you're not, it's not really healthy, but you're just doing it. Today's different. Um, today I get it here. I, you know, I do pause. I pray before, uh, the day starts. Um, I have a specific system in which I, you know, I, I, write down the night before the six most important things I need to accomplish the next day. And so my computer shows me the six things I need to start my day doing. So I do, I do those six things. Um, I usually have five or six meetings. None of them cancel ever. And they're all in my office. Um, some of which are, um, key people, um, that I need to meet with that I have key relationships with, whether vendors or, or other people in the community. And then uh, maybe one or two client meetings. Um, but they're all scheduled. They're all in my office. None of them cancel. Uh, it's refreshing. Um, and then I always, I frankly today I always leave by five thirty to be home with the kids. Okay. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, talk to me about your book. Um, what's the core message of the book and uh, why did you write it? Yeah. So to answer the first question, second, um, the reason I wrote it was I was, um, we were winning some awards as a small business. And so I would receive phone calls from entrepreneurs in the city and outside asking about what we were doing and which was nothing spectacular, but I, uh, I would share those messages. And I thought, you know, there's a need for peer to peer leadership in the small business space. You know, you can go online and get information and blogs, your you get opinions, but somebody who signs on the front side of check, there's no really peer to peer leadership. So I said, I'm going to set up some workshops. And so I did some workshops in the community and they were free and they filled up. 
And then I looked at all the research of my workshops, everything from Dave Ramsey to Jim Collins, to even Max Lucado and uh, Larry Bossidy and Patrick Lencioni and um, really all the greats and all the uh, research I'd done. I go, you know, I've got a book here. And so I just started writing and um, and, and then I ended up getting published and um, it's done real well. In fact, today, today I looked online and it was actually ahead of Joel Olstein, which was kind of interesting. Um but the, the purpose of the book, the purpose of the book initially was to give small business owners a framework in which to understand how to run a business. And then I gave the manuscript to my business partner and he read it and he goes, you know what? Your faith is bigger than how you express it in this book. Okay. So now I need to ask myself if I want to be courageously vulnerable and weave my faith through this, through this message prayed about it and I decided to do that. So the book is designed to be a playbook, a reference book. Some people call it a reference book for, for small business owners with a high degree of inspiration of how you integrate faith into your uh, work. And so uh, that's the purpose of it. I, um, it's, it's really not a revenue driver for me. Uh, the book, um, you know, my business is really where, uh, where I make my living, but the book is, I enjoy doing it and I love them. I love the feedback I get from people all across the world. Well, congratulations on the success. So small business, big pressure.com. Is that the best place to find the book? Yes. Uh, you can go to Amazon, Barnes Nobles, um, you can go to my website so you can find it pretty much anywhere. Uh, the audio book should come out soon. I've got, I forgot his name, but he did the audio for TD Jakes and he's doing the audio for mine. And so he's working on it and hopefully it'll be out soon. Okay. And what's the, what's the biggest thing that people are resonating with? It's all across the board. Um, I think people are enjoying, um, the, how to manufacture a vision and mission statement. That seems to be getting a lot of good feedback. Um, there's some hiring questions, some interview questions people have liked. Um, there's some, some leadership habits. Remember I mentioned one called the six most that's in there. I've had some people really, um, enjoy that. So I think it's just wherever people are at in their business, uh, they've pulled, they pulled out some nuggets and given me great great feedback. Hey, we're coming to the end of the show here, but I want to quickly ask you, um, what are your best two books that you've read? Um, that you think are great reads for entrepreneurs? That's so good. Um, I'm a book nut and I love books. Um, I'm going to go with, um, you know, I'm a Jim Collins guy. I really enjoy Jim Collins. So I'd have to tell you to, to, if you can read a, a great by choice by Jim Collins, that's, you won't be disappointed. Um, and I, and I will say that just recently I finished a book called, uh, the new gold standard and that's, uh, by Howard, Howard Schultz, the, um, Schultz, it's the Ritz Carlton guy. Uh, I don't say his name right, but that would be another one I'd recommend um, just on customer service. Right. I love that. Okay. Um, and what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah. So um, Daryl, D-A-R-R-Y-L at smallbusinessbigpressure.com. And that's one of the best ways. And then um, and, and uh, my website, smallbusinessbigpressure.com is another way. Um, either of those two resources is good. Now, before I ask my last question, Daryl, I just want to thank you for pouring out your heart here and, you know, all the words of wisdom that you've shared with our community and for everything you're doing in the marketplace, you know, 2000 clients, helping people manage their funds and, you know, retire in peace uh, and knowing that they can, you know, achieve their lifestyle go. So, so thanks for all that you're doing in the marketplace um, and for, yeah. And for coming out and sharing your story with the business generous community. Now for the last question, 
um, when all is said and done, do you think about legacy? And if you do, what sort of legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for? And tell us why. Yeah, um, I, I do. You know, I do think of legacy and um, it's really rooted in two things. Well, there's there's a lot to legacy, but but uh, but to keep it brief, um, two things are important to me. One, that in whatever community, however that community is defined, whether it's geographical or just simply a commonality across the world, that my last name, L-Y-O-N-S, means something, right? So when my kids um, participate in something, they are asked, are you related to, and there's an assumption that they're going to have something special inside of them. Does that make sense? That would be important. The second thing is, and that's reputation, but even more important is that the character of my children and my children's children is rooted in principles that are timeless. Um, so I'm less concerned about leaving a money inheritance, but more concerned about leaving a legacy. An inheritance is what you leave to someone. A legacy is what you leave in someone. So I want to leave both character and reputation to my children and my children's children. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, reputation and character to leave in your children um, and in your loved ones. So, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and Daryl today. Hope you had as much fun as I did. And importantly so, hope you got your hopes up that you are good enough to chase your dreams. Um, check out all the show notes at businessgenerals.com. And uh, to connect with Daryl, smallbusinessbigpressure.com. And um, you can link up with Daryl there. Daryl, thank you so much for being on the Business Generals podcast today. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Absolutely grateful. You are a true business general. I had a blast. Thank you. Hey, what's up, Business Journalist family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journalist podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.